happening now. We'd like to welcome our viewers from across North America and around the world. This is the EdTech Situation Room, episode 269 for September the 7th, 2022. My name is Wes Fryer, and I'm coming to you from Matthews, North Carolina, just south of Charlotte, where I am a media literacy and robotics middle school teacher at Providence Day School. And joining me, as always, via one of his many ways to get on the internet, which doesn't include Starlink yet, but I wouldn't be surprised, folks, if he doesn't add that to his arsenal. It's Dr. Jason Neifer coming to us, I think, from Helena, Montana. How are you, Jason? I'm well, Dr. Fryer. Uh, thank you so much for the kind introduction. And indeed, I am uh, uh, in lovely Helena, Montana, the state capital, uh, my hometown for about 20 years when I went to college. And uh, first started uh, teaching uh, in my early career, and it's lovely to be back in this beautiful city. So um, I will say it's been a little smoky here. There's there's some western fires that have uh, dumped their skywares into our, our general state air zone, and I would say that it's a little chewy out there is the way I would describe the air right now. But we're feeling pretty lucky that this didn't happen until September and that it's not a lot of direct Montana fires at least yet, and we're hoping that stays true for the rest of the potential fire season. Oh, I just keep on replaying in my mind that video of that cabin uh, in that, um, you know, flood up by the north entrance to Yellowstone and just crazy, crazy weather. So, well, we are here to talk about some tech news, and the rumor was that there was an Apple event today. So what what are we going to do here tonight, Dr. Neifer? Well, um, I imagine we're going to talk ad nauseum to the, about the Apple event because that's what Apple nerds do. But in case uh, that bores us for whatever reason, we have some Google news, some privacy surveillance news, VR, AR, metaverse news, some media literacy information, perhaps an article or two on crypto, the tech correction where we talk about some vague notion of technology evolving past all the UG it seems to be the source of right now our miscellaneous category at the end of our show tonight, we'll, sh- we'll share our geeks of the week. So I guess it begs, do we do Apple now or do we do Apple? Oh, let's, let's jump right into Apple. And we do want to let everybody know Jason is uh, on a Verizon hotspot tonight. So he may um, have a little connectivity issues. We're going to, we're going to give this the, the best go and see if he, is not able to participate for an extended period of time, we may curtail the show a little shorter, but he has frozen on my screen. So hopefully okay. he will either oh. reanimate. Oh, there's his voice. He's back. Okay. <laughs> you are sounding like a, a bit choppy. So I don't know. We'll see. It was the, the beginning was sounding great. Do you want to try turning off video and seeing if uh, audio only can work? Oh, he's he's joining again. All right. And there he is, ladies and gentlemen, joining us again. Well, if all those fails, you could go audio only. Okay. Yep. Good to know. But yeah, we can, we can go with this again and see. So yeah, I think we ought to go ahead and just uh, go, go with Apple. Does that sound okay? Yep. That sounds great. Okay. All right, so uh, we do want to let everyone know you can go to our website, edtechsr.com slash links to check out the links for tonight's show. Um, that's where the uh, subtitled topics that Jason has shared are listed. Um, I actually was able to watch 
most of the Apple event live today. And so um, it, I, it was pretty exciting. I mean, as I said last week, I mean, it's, it's always incredible um, from a visual and digital storytelling standpoint. Um, so uh, anyway, it, it was, I think it was pretty remarkable. This, this is a Twitter event link that uh, was trending today. And this is from the Wirecutter. And the subtitle here is, here's what you need to know about the new iPhone 14 AirPods Pro, Apple Watch Ultra, and more. Um, I guess my first question is just going to be to, you know, what what stood out, if anything. For me, it was really the SOS feature of the iPhone 14 to be able to connect to satellites. I was just exclaiming aloud to myself as they were describing that. Uh, because they've worked a long time for this with a bunch of different technologies. I think I actually, I'll, I'll drop it in, but there was a, well, The Verge had an article a couple of days ago that said that's unlikely that that's going to actually happen, but it did happen. The technology is such that if you are out in the sticks, as I know you can be in Montana from time to time where there's not any cellular connectivity um, and you need to get an SOS um, out to, you know, call for emergency assistance you actually launch the app and it will help you point your phone to a satellite because it has to be pointed at a overhead satellite in order to work. Um, and then they've also managed to change the, the protocols because it can't send a full SMS length message. It has to be shortened. And so they have worked with a bunch of emergency, I guess, first responder groups, what kinds of information are going to be critical. And so it's menu-based and it can send in a very efficient manner um, the information that you'd need to be able to get assistance. And then you're going to be able to actually connect to the satellite. So that was the number one most exciting thing to me. The second one, um, I mean, just the camera and the iPhoneography power of the iPhone is just, uh, you know, very tempting to me. And the iPad, iPod, um Pro, what am I trying to say? The AirPod Pros. Um, I we just actually purchased for our daughter's nineteenth birthday some some AirPod Pros, but of course they were the old version, uh, which Costco had on sale. But um, they they say it's going to be double the noise cancellation. And if I'm not uh, mistaken, Doctor Knifer, you you're an owner of some uh, AirPod Pros, are you not? And you've even experienced them on an airplane. Um, I yes, I do, and I have, and they are really solid buys. And I would say that if you uh, either take audio quality really seriously, which uh, it's not me, that's not why I'm an AirPods Pro user, or if you would like a very thoughtful uh, uh, hardware device for audio, like if you use it for a microphone, for example, uh, on calls or perhaps even on a podcast, uh, they're they're a pretty good investment. Uh, that said. Um, you know, I thought it was interesting when they had to announce today about the updates, but um, I'm good enough with my, my pair for right now. Um, I want to comment on one other thing, uh, Dr. Fryer, and then I have a couple other kind of random thoughts about the event. The satellite thing is really interesting for people like myself that live in um, uh, an area where outside of cities, the uh, uh, Cell coverage is absolutely sketchy at best, and uh, there have been times when I've had a flat tire or uh, had something happen uh, uh, to my car or a relative's car when you were out of cell coverage. And this was recently, the last couple of years, where this is the case, which means that you have to rely 
on the kindness of strangers, or you sometimes can dial 911 and that'll get you to another tower, whether it's owned by your cell phone carrier or not. That sometimes works. But I was very impressed with this option today because I think it provides uh, some really interesting options. A um, couple notes, uh, it only works on iPhone 14, uh, which is a, a kind of a downer. And then you get two years of free service um, uh, this is not a, a built-in feature. It's also not based on your carriers either. I think this is carrier independent. Um, so the bottom line is, is that it, you get it for two years with an iPhone 14 purchase, and then it costs some amount of money, uh, which I, they announced how much today, Dr. Fryer? They did not say that, but I, I, <laughs> I said I'm not going to be tempted, but I'm pretty, pretty tempted by that. They did, they did not uh, say the price. I dropped in an Engadget article uh, headline, the iPhone 14 can connect to satellites for emergency SOS, yep. which includes some screenshots and, you know, a few more, a few more details about it. The other thing they said is that um, you can actually uh, get, again, if you have this service free for two years with the iPhone 14 or, you know, you pay for it later, you can actually turn on the find me feature. And so even when you are in the backwoods and off the grid, wow. you're going to be able to let people know exactly what your geo location is. They, they, when they talked about the Apple watch ultra, which I mean, as much as I'd like to say, I'm just this incredible adventure explorer. Um, I'm not because uh, they were talking about scuba diving and, I mean, there was some amazing video that they showed, but like, you know, scuba diving with this watch and all this, but they've um, like, if you're going to run a marathon or you're going to run some kind of crazy thing where you, you swim a long way and you bike a long way and then you run a marathon, which I'm sure both of us will be doing that, you know, just this summer later. Um, it, when you're in large cities, um, skyscrapers are uh, notorious for coming, you know, interfering with GPS signals. And so, the iPhone 14 has this special technology that is going to enable it to have the most precise uh, geolocation, even within, you know, busy urban areas with, with a lot of um, skyscrapers. But what was amazing to me was this idea that you could be in the middle of nowhere uh, and, and then be able to use that satellite technology. And I had, it was, it was, it was in 2012 when I last was, you know, backpacking uh, at Philmont Scout Ranch, her son and I, Went and uh, at the time, I mean, I, I used a solar charger to keep my phone going because I, had, I, I recorded audio boo reflections each night, and then I, you know, took a bunch of pictures as well. Um, but I had looked into some of these services, kind of like a sat phone, but they're for emergencies to be able to let people know if you're, you know, back in the woods where you're at. So I just, I think it's incredible that they've done that. And then another thing that I just remembered is the eSIM. There are, there is not a physical SIM card in the new iPhone 14. It's all digital. And I don't know, I, I, I don't know how carriers will feel about that. I mean, I guess that, that's one less charge, right? Because you used to have to buy a SIM card and, you know, pay for that. But I think from a consumer standpoint, that sounds fantastic. Um, maybe that's good from a security standpoint too, since Apple's layered, layered on so many different security features, but that was yeah. something that stood out, but definitely the satellite connectivities, according to, you know, the verge wasn't expecting it to happen. And I don't think in this, in this version, and it just, it's really amazing. Now, I don't know how many, well, look, if it's going to help you out, it's going to help you out in a big way right? because you are, unless you have a sat phone or, 
you know, you are investing in one of these other kinds of emergency beacon technologies, which I love REI. Um, we, we probably have one in Charlotte. I don't know, but we, we have one in Oklahoma City. I just love to, to go to those. And I'm always checking out the little tech area. You know, no surprise where they've got the, you know, different batteries and, and uh, the different kinds of radios and, and emergency beacons and stuff like that. So Apple probably put a few, maybe even put some people out of business. I don't know, because if you can just have your iPhone 14, um, you know, maybe maybe you don't need that. I, I'm sure from, from a battery standpoint, probably still going to be some compelling reasons to have a have something other than an iPhone that can phone home, so to speak. Yep. Well, let me make, make a couple comments about eSIMs, and I want to make one other comment about the uh, uh, watch OS updates that they announced today. But eSIMs are really interesting to me, and part of it is because I've experimented with them a little bit. Uh, I have two devices, uh, um, an iPad Air 5 and an iPhone 13 Pro. Um, that I've picked up in the, the last two years after my move back to Apple World. And what I would say is that um, the eSIMs are really intriguing to me because uh, you first, you there are all sorts of apps you can download where if you're traveling internationally, you can pre-buy eSIMs that have data on them and then just hook up to that network when you get on the ground in your location. And it's a really convenient feature, especially if you don't want to mess with going across, you know, going to a phone store and picking up a SIM locally or using a sketchy SIM that you might find uh, in an airport somewhere, uh, airport kiosk. Um, so eSIMs are super interesting to me. And one of the applications I'm working on right now, and it doesn't work, and I have a suspicion, uh, suspicion why, but I'm a T-Mobile customer, but T-Mobile... Uh, uh, towers aren't as prolific in Montana as Verizon, and Verizon right now has a $30 a month plan uh, through their visible service that gets you unlimited uh, um, unlimited cell, um, uh, co- not coverage, but uh, unlimited cell usage, including unlimited data. It gets capped after a certain point, and hotspot is minimized to, I think it's 5 or 10 uh, megabits down, but more than good enough. But that would help cover me if I'm in an area that the T-Mobile signal is terrible and I wanted to utilize data. And it's simple. I've, and I've played with another SIM, uh, eSIM on my iPhone. It's just as simple as clicking one button um, uh, inside the back end and switching data primarily from one SIM to the other. You can still accept calls on both SIMs, uh, and it just declares one primary, one secondary. So eSIMs are really cool, and it's going to make international traveling uh, a little easier because it's going to force a lot of carriers to move to eSIMs. Um, and I, I, I've, I've read suggestions that it's a more secure system than old-fashioned um, uh, uh, cards, but I, I don't know enough about that to comment. Uh, you're on mute, Dr. Fair. So then let me just push all these different buttons wildly <laughs> because I'm panicked. Yeah, my wife is cleaning some things in the kitchen, so I was trying to be a little quiet. I was a little quieter than I intended. Um, hey, Peggy's there. Um, there are, as usual, a lot of just kind of incremental benefit, you know, I- improvements and things like that with, with the iPhone. But, um, you know, I, I think... Oh, I, I just priced on Swappa. I've got an iPhone XR, 64 gig. <laughs> I could probably get 200 bucks for it on Swappa. Apple will give me 140 for it, you know, with a direct trade-in. Ugh, it's going to be tempting. Yeah. I have read, though, lots of carrier discount opportunities. So people should be looking around um, that if you have a phone, 
uh, or if you have a plan, even if you were in a prepaid or postpaid plan, no matter what your strategy there is, there might be opportunities to get subsidies from your carriers to update. So keep that in mind as well. I will be checking that out. And well, then, uh, no, go ahead. I just want to make one more comment about uh, upcoming Apple Watch Series 4. Um, I'm sorry, the, no, the new low power mode coming in Watch OS 9 was the number I was looking for, Watch OS 9. And I will tell you, I love my Apple Watch. Um, it's going on uh, almost two years old now, and the battery life is not very good anymore. And part of that's because I'm wearing it daily because, like most other Apple Watch users, they're, they're really easy to, to miss when they're gone as opposed to my experience with Android watches. Um, but more importantly, though, it's, it's a critical part of my health system. And there's a lot of uh, sensors that I have that talk to my phone. They can let me know about things like low blood sugars. That is really useful with the watch. And I love the fitness tracking. And they are going to introduce a new low power mode so you can more finitely control what gets scaled back when your battery hits a certain level. And I think that's going to help me and my battery problems. Um, to be honest, I would really like access to the latest watch. Uh, I think it's uh, seventh generation is the the next one, and I'm looking forward to it. I but I see I, I think I'm gonna make my watch last a little longer before I update. Yeah, I'm still on a generation three watch, and yeah, I'm not seeing anything just you know too too compelling as far as the the shift there. Um, I love it. I mean, I really do. It's you know. The daily carry, um, and it's amazing how much we uh, are dependent on these things. I guess it would be if I got if I did get at some point some some uh, AirPod Pros, it probably would be nice to be able to directly you know listen on the phone, um, not have to have the or sorry directly from the watch and not have to you know carry your phone with you. But I don't know. Those are very much luxuries. So. Yeah. Hey, uh, Peggy uh, was saying that uh, she felt like the health features on the new watch were pretty impressive. And again, that's one of the things we've said repeatedly on the show. Yeah, the health, the health, uh, as well as privacy sides of, of Apple just really, really are compelling. So I, I, I will give a shout out again. Um, check out the video, just the, the digital, the, the ways in which, especially with transitions between products that Apple, you know, transitioned. I mean, I don't know how many people are going scuba diving with, with their watch, but um, that was, that might have been the most impressive part of the live in, just in terms of the, of the video transition. But anyway, it was, it was well done. All right. Um, hey, can I do this uh, air tags one? I don't think we did this one, did we, about the bag? I, I thought we might have talked about it last week, but then again, we always tend to, like, start expounding the, the, the delights of the air tag. Well, maybe we did. I didn't think I found that one that, um, well, no, I'm not seeing it because there's the word baggage is not on our, our doc. So I don't, that was one that I just put in. All right. New York times, August 19th. Uh, this is a gift link. So, uh, you can see the full, the full version here. Uh, she had an air tag and her lost luggage that led police to a baggage handler's home. This happened in Florida and a baggage handler, um, had stolen more than $16,000 in goods uh, from passengers' luggage. Uh, the 19-year-old was arrested August 10th and charged with two felony counts of grand theft, and it was all thanks to the air tag, which a woman had placed in her luggage. So, anyway, yay, air tags. I don't think he talked about air tags today at all, but I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> I, I didn't watch the whole thing, but anyway, that was one of the other... 
we had there. Oh, do you want to go ahead and do the um, the MacBook one though? You've got a MacBook art. Yeah, uh, and this is a good. I, I've been wanting to talk about this uh, since the MacBook Air M2 was released, but I didn't want, want to link to a bunch of random videos. You have to go watch forty five minutes. Of this one. You were chopping, sir. We're just, we're kind of, we're getting a, a chop, chop, chop. Um, I'll be right back. Okay. While we're waiting for Jason to come back, and I'm going to let him back in, um, we should probably figure out how to get him logged in so he doesn't have to do that. Uh, this is an article from Reviewed.com, which I hadn't heard, heard of before, called MacBook Air M1 versus MacBook Air M2. Which should you buy? And just in the nick of time, there he is, ladies and gentlemen. You can even see him again. The article talks about a really great uh, uh, difference between the M1s and M2s. The M2 beats uh, almost every category of um, the comparisons they make. The the form factor, the screen, uh, the processor, M2 wins. Except there is one critical issue that the storage uh, is slower on the M2 than it is on the M1. And it doesn't matter for what probably most people do, but you are paying $200 more for something that does have a bit of a flaw over the MacBook uh, Air M1. And I'm just going to say one more time, I think the brilliance of the release of Apple Silicon and the way they did it and the way they had their product plan, it was such a dominant increase in speed when they released the Apple Silicon fa- factor processors, the M1 to start off with, that it's it's so much faster than the competitors and it's the previous generation of Apple products. I, I think people are going to be very happy with the M1 for a, a long time. I just don't see them needing to go to the M3, 4, 5, or 6. So, you know, we'll see what how that the, What was the flaw again for the M2? I'm sorry. Uh, it was uh, it was memory and storage speed. Huh. Okay. Oh, that's right. I think I do remember seeing some articles about that. And, you know, and I, again, I don't think most people would notice this. And at first, I'm like, ew, I don't want to buy an M2. Um, not, again, in the market for that. But the, the bottom line is, is that uh, it's just not as that big of a deal for what most users use it for. And I think that article does a good job of kind of handling the differences between the two if you are in a position to buy. As an aside, so our laptop situation, um, we bought my wife a, well, actually she did with her own money from her health coaching business, um, uh, an M1 Mac uh, this summer before we left. Um, (laughs) But she at school has to use a very old Windows machine. Uh, They do not share the guest's password for the the Wi-Fi. So she cannot use her Mac at all. Um, So she's just using it at home. So I have an M1 at school, and uh, I, I do have access to, to a guest network. I'm, I think I'm actually going to test uh, test the speeds to see, you know, if, if the uh, the guest is is equivalent to our uh, regular network because it's. I mean, you know, I'm I'm using the machine now. I love it. It's great, but um, I'm just not going to be able to have an admin account on my on my machine. So that's not a game changer, right? Or that's not a game ender. You know, I, I've worked on a Chromebook a lot and, you know, there's not a lot of client software, but anyway, we, we mentioned that last time because I think um, University of Montana has asserted some administrative control over your devices too. So that's, I wonder if that's a sign of the times of just more malware and things like that. Um, 
president in Max and just, you know, how many, how many admins are choosing to not allow users to have admin rights on a Mac. I mean, that used to be very, very normal for all Windows PCs that I knew of on an enterprise level. I didn't know anybody that was granting admin access, um, basically. I mean, that was unless it was a really small organization for any larger yeah. organizations. So that could be a sign of the times. I actually visited with uh, someone today who was just talking about the incredible assault on, you know, business offices and credit cards and just the amount of, um, you know, phishing and, and malware. I, I need to write a blog post. I was literally, you know, go down and more, but I was, I was fished for the first time on successfully this sat uh, this weekend. Um, you know, I guess somebody, Oh, look, they're moving. And this link that I got looked, it was, it should have looked, you know, hedgy to me, but it was, you click it, it looked just like the post office and, oh, we need $3 in order to forward a package to you. And after I had put in my debit card, I was like, I don't think that was really the post office. And so the link, after you had visited it once, the link just went straight to the post office. But if you put it in a different browser, which I guess meant the cookie hadn't been set, you got this nice little thing. Oh, here's your package. I even put in the tracking ID to like look for it, look for it. Can I track this? Like, oh, it can't be found. And I still did it. I felt like such an idiot. But I canceled my my debit card right away. And, you know, as far as we know, no foul, no harm done. But, man, it's just um, it's crazy how fast that stuff can happen. So, yeah. Well, and you are, a, I mean, you're a skilled system admin, right? You're not even just an advanced end user. And I'm saying not that as a criticism of you, sir, but just how sophisticated that these phishing attacks are becoming. And what I will tell you is that it's getting a little sneakier from my vantage point, too. For example, um, the minute I took on a new title at my day job, the, the number of people aiming scam attacks at my staff supposedly for me and I I, I don't know what that particularly is called. Uh, there's a subsection of phishing that, that's covered by that, but um, it, it'll say something like executive director is the email return, or it'll say Jason Neifer. Yeah, spear, it's spear phishing because they're yeah. specifically spearing you, your yep. position. There you go. So, um, and, and, and they've increased dramatically uh, in, in, in the last nine months. Um, but, uh, one thing I've noticed in, in the context of that is all sometimes uh, when I'm getting phishing emails that involve a link, I'll go, I'll open it up in a, in a private browser, but I want to go to the link to see what it looks like. And they're getting impressively complex. Um, and I have not fallen for one yet. Uh, uh, I have been halfway through a form before, maybe twice actually, before I looked at something, I said, wait a second, my spidey sense started tingling. But you know, uh, the point is, is that I don't care what your tech savvy is. This is a real risk for everyone. And the only way you deal with this is to remind people, I think, somewhat relentlessly to be on the lookout because these tax attacks are only going to increase in frequency. Absolutely. And, um, you know, Apple does have an interesting feature for their Apple card, and that is that there's no printed number on it. Um, yeah. You have a digital number. But you can change that with a click of a button. And I don't know what other, um, you know, banks, I think there's some, and I heard this on Leo Laporte's um, Twit or Security Now, you know, probably a few years ago that there was some some major bank that was doing sort of these uh, disposable, you know, numbers that you could have. 
but um, I know at, at our la- my last school, we had a, quote, virtual credit card, um, which was just a number that we would get, you know, when we needed to, to make a purchase. Um, but one related thing that I don't know what your opinion about this is, and if anybody listening to the show has an opinion, I'm really considering changing my cell phone number. I wish there was a newer standard to be able to escape the, the nightmare of, you know, spam calls and, and whatever. Um, the one difficulty is that there's a number of multi-factor authentication or two-step verification services that I've enabled with that number. Um, but, um, you know, we're, we're planning on never going back to Oklahoma. So I don't know. It's, we, we like our numbers. We've had them for 16 years. Of course, if you get a new phone number, you would inherit whoever had thought, you know, that you could get calls for that person and, and that number is probably out there, you know, as well. Um, but I don't know if I've got this link in here for privacy. Maybe I do. Um, yeah, let me segue to this. So this is a privacy surveillance. Uh, this was the Associated Press on September 2nd. This is, I think, is it, I think this is the one. Um, I'll do this article anyway, and then if not, I'll do, I'll find the other one. Tech Tool offers police, a, no, I don't think it is, mass, uh, mass surveillance on a budget. Law enforcement agencies from suburban Southern California to rural North Carolina have been using an obscure cell phone tracking tool at times without search warrants that gives them power to follow people's movements months back in time, according to public records and internal emails. Uh, it is called Fog Reveal. It searches hundreds of billions of records from 250 million mobile devices, harnesses the data to create location analyses, uh, patterns of life. And basically, this is um, what I've suspected you know for a while it just the cell phone number is maybe even more important than our social security number in terms of connecting dots for data there is this vast opaque cloud opaque to us of data that's been collected about us and this is the surveillance capitalism economy and so anyway this is interesting because law enforcement is being able to tap into this and uh, the company's saying, oh, this is all legitimately sold data. It's all, you know, data broker stuff. But this is, it reminds me of Clearview AI, which was this database of scraped images, which again, police forces were, security forces were using to get evidently really quick. And in, in some cases, maybe a lot of cases, I don't know, uh, quote unquote, accurate facial IDs that they couldn't get from other systems. Um, but that's a, that's a, that's an eye opener. Um, but you know, I don't know that it's illegal because again, these data companies are selling all this and companies can be in China or Russia. Uh, I don't think there's really much regulation around that right now. And so anyway, if I was to change my, my cell number, I could try to be a little more careful about not giving it out because like a lot of folks, oh yeah, sure, I'm at CVS or Walgreens and I'd like to get a dollar off my you know, purchase or whatever, here's my cell phone number. And so the more that we give that out, the more that's wedded to all of our um, activities in both the face-to-face you know, physical world as far as, you know, purchases and, and other things. And then also electronic. Do you have an opinion about that? Is it, is it a good thing to think about changing a cell number or is that maybe it's all fruitless? It's hopeless. There's no way to escape surveillance capitalism. Well, I think the thing you'd have a problem with, I mean, unless you're choosing to get an additional number is that I still think it's, it's just going to start to track you anyways, right? Like, 
that and it would because I, I don't I think the problem here is systemic in that I, I don't think you can get away from this. Uh, you could de-Google and uh, be one of the, the people that starts hosting your own email and um, never utilizes any of the search engines, right, or, or, or only does that with a privacy flag. I see your distaste of these as options. And, uh, then, and, and then you could get a de-Googled phone, right? That's, that's, a, that's a thing, too. Uh, it's an Android phone that, that has... <laughs> I have all the stuff. I mean, I love I love YouTube. I love the recommendation engines and things. I just I I don't know. There's there's certainly my wife for some reason has had a huge number. Like we're talking almost a hundred a day sometimes of these spam calls that are coming yeah. and coming from the, the the Oklahoma you know area code. So I don't I don't know. Uh, th- th- you're right. I mean, there's not the path to you know true low profile privacy is is so difficult that you know most people are not not going to to go down that road and i'm not i'm not wanting to go down that kind of a hardcore road i i love youtube i love the the recommendation engine i'm i'm using it all the time uh and i don't want to i'm not going to delete my watch history i want to keep finding stuff that i wouldn't find otherwise but at the same time um there's there's some different sides to that and i don't know there's also just a practical side of living in a new area and they're like, what a 405 area code. And I don't know, being at school and all that kind of stuff, um, fit in a little bit more with the local area code. I don't, I don't know. But if anybody has any opinions about that, I just, I, I have a sense and I guess maybe I've heard somebody or read somebody talk about it, that at some point we're going to get a new phone system, right? Because SMS particularly is completely insecure and, you know, we've got other messaging services, obviously, that run on our phones. But still, SMS is a, is the like email. It's a ubiquitous. Everyone basically has that. Um, at some point, we need a system that is designed with more security in mind. But I don't. I mean, and I'm sure somebody at, at AT&T Labs, you know, or, or whatever, is is has already devised that kind of thing. DARPA's probably got that all figured out. But the roadmap for that may be quite a ways off. I've never even heard anybody proposing, oh, look, we're going to have a new, you know, a new system. And because that's international, right? That touches everybody. So anyway, sorry, I went down a rabbit hole there. (laughs) That's okay. We go down one of those once in a while. Hey, Peggy got rid of her landline though, and she is cell, cell phone only. So congratulations, Peggy. Yeah, I know quite a few. I know quite a few people that in the last year or so have finally come to that reality. So when are you going to have a Starlink subscription, sir? Uh, it's tempting because it would allow me to work remotely in some, some areas of, of the back country that I can access. Uh, so I soon enough, maybe it just seems like it'd be something fun to play with too. But you know, cause what I need in my life is more tech toys. Hey, well, the, you know, the danger there is there is no, disconnect i mean it's it you can choose to be disconnected obviously at any time but yeah yeah it's that that's that double-edged sword where sometimes it's like oh yeah i'm i'm actually going to be disconnected here and that's that's purposeful so anyway the, the there would be no no length limit to the digital tether or the digital leash if you had the starlink yep totally true all right what else should we talk about tonight well, let's do a couple more uh, privacy articles. Uh, there was an interesting article in the USA Today on September 5th that talked about 
um, uh, a, a ruling by Irish regulators that fined Instagram $400 million for violating EU, EU teen privacy rules. And um, it's super interesting because I went into the article thinking to myself, well, how, I mean, what, what do these rules do? Um, you know, the, the European laws are much more locked down than uh, United States laws in regards to guarding privacy. And I think that's particularly true of those under the age of 18. And uh, well, it turns out uh, a lot of teens were getting around the limitations of their accounts by converting their account to a business account, which allowed them to share things like their phone number and address which is a violation of teen privacy laws in, in uh, Ireland. So uh, interesting that that was the issue, but a uh, $400 million fine for uh, Instagram uh, violating those privacy rules. And again, let's remind everyone that that means Facebook, or should we say Meta, which that's, you know, a small, a small pittance. It really is. It's just kind of amazing that we, do not have any viable privacy legislation in the or privacy protections in the United States. And I don't think there's a roadmap for those actually happening. Like, I don't think there's a strong constituency, you know, we'll have these, you know, whistleblower, you know, tells all and Cambridge Analytica and these different, you know, things that hit the news cycle, but then they're gone and there's not any kind of enduring, like, okay, you know, we, we must, we must change. So, um, it's it's uh it well it's really up to us right it's up to us as individual consumers it's up to us as as uh you know citizens and whatever organizations we're a part of our schools churches whatever organization i mean you know if if we don't take steps to try and protect our own privacy I don't think that i don't think the us government is stepping in to do this anytime soon and that's kind of fascinating because we talk about this all the time and we just kind of think Okay, something's going to change, but I think these kind of articles, you know, Europe, yes, they have GDPR and some of these other regulations, and there's these small little fines of four hundred million dollars, but you know, to a company like Meta, that that really is nothing, and it's just couch change. It's just the cost of doing business. So yeah, oops, you know, we'll we'll try to we'll try to fix that. So. Okay, and one last article uh, on privacy. This is from Vox. Uh, You're being tracked through your email, and here's how to stop it. And one of the things I want to talk about for just a moment is, uh, and this goes under, I think, some digital citizenship or kind of buyer beware uh, uh, information. It also has to to do with the email topic that Wes and I were talking about just a few moments ago in regards to kind of changing cell phone numbers. But uh, almost everything you do in an email that comes from a vendor is tracked in some way, shape, or form. And there's very clever ways that they do that. Um, even if you, or if you just open the email, you notice the graphics pop up sometimes in the email. You can shut that off. That graphic the sender of the email that you opened up the email because other downloaded those particular images. And there are all sorts of ways that uh, I don't think I would go through the steps to block that. There are Jason, I hate to interrupt you, but I think we need to have you, uh, if, if this is a fix, uh, disconnect and, and reconnect again. Uh, so your audio started to, to go garbled there and you are you are now frozen in a very dramatic, expressive pose. So 
Okay. So he's out and he's back in. What might be happening is that sometimes, and I think I've seen this before with a cellular connection. um, It's not like just a quota or something like that that's being reached, but sometimes the connection there is he's back. Hey, yes, he is. He's back. Ladies and gentlemen, I was just sometimes I've seen this happen before where, you know, after a while the signal degrades and it's sort of like, they want you to stop streaming and doing what you're doing. But then when you reconnect, you're, you're back to full, full bars. So he's back, ladies and gentlemen. It's just, this may be the routine tonight. Hey, we only have 20 more minutes. So, all right. So your last, you were, you were, you were garbling there at the end. So your, your privacy point there was, again. was that I'm not sure if I would go through all these steps to make my email more private uh, because it, it, all these options on this page are, are investments of time and, and resources and in, in one case money. Um, but I think it's just important to understand, right? Like it, there is, it's very little truly anonymous activity on the internet. And if, you know, if you open up an email, you may be sending data back to a vendor, whether you like it or not. Yeah. Well, and it talks about Apple's hide my email feature. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's, I haven't done my email lesson yet with, with my students and I need to, cause we've got, as always, a lot of kids that are overwhelmed with so many different email messages, <clears throat> but um, you know, being careful with your email and being careful what you subscribe for or subscribe to and the kinds of, you know, giveaways and all these things that you could put your email in for uh, it can, it can all add up. And so I think it is great that Apple, I don't know if we've had the article, but the amount of money they estimate Meta or Facebook has lost simply because of the do not track option, which a majority of users, you know, still choose to do on on Apple devices is just really extraordinary. So you may want to go audio only again, Dr. Neifer. You had frozen up there again for a little bit. It's I I do not like not seeing you, but... uh, (laughs) A voice from the void. A voice from, yes, and you're, yeah, that's right. We're used to just really amazing uh, visuals with the mountains and everything, and now he's he's just become a white dot on a black field. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, Okay, so I think that that takes care of the privacy surveillance. Um, Let me do uh, kind of a different one. Uh, Hey, I'm going to talk about Microsoft. Usually Jason's the only one to do that. Uh, This is from Tech Radar Pro on September 5th. The U.S. Army could soon be equipped with Microsoft HoloLens. I actually shared this as a geek. No, it wasn't a geek of the week. It's a wonderlink uh, with my students this week. I didn't know, um, and maybe you do, Dr. Neifer. Do you know know how much a HoloLens to... uh, Retails for if you just as a consumer, uh, I would guess uh, one to two thousand dollars, thirty five hundred dollars, and it goes up from there to over five thousand for some industrial you know customizations. Um, the army has ordered five thousand headsets, and that order is thought to be worth around three hundred and seventy three million. Assistant Secretary for Acquisition Douglas Bush has signed off on that, according to Bloomberg. Um, and the article says the new integrated visual augmentation system, IVAS, units have been heavily adapted from the consumer HoloLens, too. Um, but this is just kind of amazing. Um, there's a partnership. Well, OK, so that evidently 
the the uh, military overall um, back in November of 2018 they scored they secured a 480 million dollar contract to produce 100,000 of them, but there's 21.9 billion dollars evidently uh, in March 2021 was announced for for Holland. So I think this is a pretty pretty big deal. Number one. I mean, I'm more familiar with the Oculus and the $400, you know, price point. That's the one that I've played with. But this is a very serious level of investment on the part of the U.S. Army into this augmented reality um, technology. And again, for people, we haven't maybe talked about this in a while. We're not talking virtual reality like Oculus. The augmented reality is you're still seeing the real world, but it's a mix of virtual things. So if you go to the HoloLens website, as we did this week in class, you'll see, you know, manufacturing, healthcare, education, these different kinds of applications. But, you know, somebody could be working, for instance, on fixing some kind of machine and then overlaid on top of what they're actually seeing are the instructions and, you know, data. And and, and so I'm I'm sure that uh, probably like a lot of, you know, first person shooter, you know, games that give you all sorts of data on a dashboard about your teammates and, you know, health and, 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 uh, vital statistics and all kinds of things like that. Those sorts of things are available for real, you know, to these soldiers that are wearing these, these headsets. So do I think we're going to be seeing these taking over education anytime soon? No, certainly not at that price point, but I think this certainly indicates AR moving from just a, wow, that would be cool. You know, someday we'll have a Jedi council hologram meeting to look at what, look at what the U S military is doing with this. Um, there's other groups that are, that are going to be using it and probably are using it as well. Well, I just make a quick comment about, uh, I guess the good news about this for consumers. And I guess what I would also say classrooms is that if a, Pentagon is dropping, uh, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars on this. It does have a chance of making the technology cheaper in future generations. And I, I don't think augmented reality is a real uh, class viable classroom tool quite yet. Um, but in a year or two, when these headsets get below $500, for example, or there's a classroom model that maybe has a little bit of, 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 of feature uh, uh, decrepancy, other than that, you know, vi- viably the same, that's great news. So I will say, you know, stay tuned at Tech World because there's a, probably a cheap application in this coming sometime soon. I think it'll be interesting in the DIY world. You know, we talked on the show last week about how Apple is allowing, you know, people to theoretically uh, crack open devices and fix them. But it's so complicated and difficult. Like, who's going to do that? <clears throat> but if you had, you know, an augmented reality headset that was perhaps, you know, along with video and whatever, you know, giving you step-by-step instructions and you can see all this stuff overlaid on top of it. Then I, I can see that, um, you know, they, 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 I don't remember what the actual numbers are, but c- compared to a um, typical, you know, gasoline powered internal combustion engine, uh, electric cars have way fewer moving parts. Like it's crazy. Instead of thousands of parts, I think there's like hundreds. So anyway, if we're, if we have more of a DIY world or let's think about the people that'll be on Mars, you know, uh, being able to have that technology, uh, essentially to, to not have to be looking at a phone, but you know, to, to have that data present 
as you work and you're doing things um, is pretty interesting. So yeah, not probably not coming to a classroom near us anytime soon, but maybe, maybe it will be a bit cheaper. All right. What else, sir? We have 12, 12 more minutes or 13. Uh, well, let's see here. Uh, maybe a couple of uh, Google related articles. Um, we talk about this one first because I think this is super interesting if you're in the market for a Chromebook. Uh, Chrome Unboxed uh, reported on September 6th that uh, they did some tests, and it turns out the 12th generation Intel Core i3 processor is an absolute performance monster in Chromebooks. And they tested out um, a Chromebook with this particular chip, and it's be the latest generation i3 chip. And for those of you that uh, aren't aware of, of kind of chip inside baseball uh, with chips, uh, there are three levels of chips that are considered the faster consumer chip. That's the i3, i5, and i7. And then if you want a slower chip, it's sometimes called a pen Pentium or Celeron processor. But an i3 chip is usually a respectable uh, uh, chip for basic advanced computing, right? It's not going to blow anything away, but if you're not doing any applications that require a significant processor, it doesn't really matter. Well, as it turns out, uh, the i3 in the most current uh, generation of Intel processors, uh, so this would be an i3 12-something, uh, 12.01, number, it, it, it's amazing, and it just blows away all sorts of of, of desktop benchmarks, and because I know a lot about desktop benchmarks, I know how crazy large these numbers are. And so if you are in the market uh, for a faster Chromebook, right, these faster Chromebooks last longer, they have a better user experience. Um, there's a, a ridiculous one on sale right now. It's the 16-inch Acer Chromebook, uh, with is uh, which is ridiculously large. It's got a full-size keyboard. It's 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 uh, you know, really 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 ridiculous. But if that's what you're looking for, it's five hundred fifty dollars right now. There's a link in the the Chrome Unboxed article. So just thought I'd share a, a nerdy Chromebook article. And from the chat room, Peggy had not been aware of the Apple Mail privacy feature, so she's turned that on. Um, the thing is, Peggy, it, it, this is probably going to help more with like new subscriptions um, because I think, from my understanding, what it will do is let you know, like if you use this special email that still goes to your .Mac or, or, or .me or whatever account, if that ends up being sold and shared, then you know, you'll know you be able to say, oh, when I subscribe to Wired Magazine, you know, they sold my subscription. And I have not been using it, but that's my understanding is that's the kind of thing that it helps with. But if yeah. you've got your regular email already out there with existing subscriptions, I don't think it will, will really help. Uh, but with new ones, it, it will. And I mean, it's good that Apple's making this effort. And again, from an educational standpoint, whether people are going to utilize it fully and go far down the, the rabbit hole of, of trying to be more private and protect their data, uh, we need to know how the world works and, and how these companies work. And at some point, maybe we'll have some some regulation that you know helps protect our privacy. But at this point, it is up to us. But Apple is doing some huge favors for consumers by you know giving us a, a do not track button and giving the option to be able to you know have a have a uh, unique email address. Yahoo did that way back in the day, and I actually you know used that. You would you picked an alias. And then you could have different things that would be hyphenated and create, you know, all of these email illnesses. And they still work, too. Um, fortunately, Yahoo 
<laughs> mine at least, uh, authenticates through Google. And so I don't think, hopefully that account is not being hacked, but anyway, yeah, it, as Peggy says, it's a starting point. So definitely something to be aware of and something to consider trying. Are you in the market for a new Chromebook, Dr. Neifer? Do you need an i3 Chromebook <laughs> to add to your article? I, I do not. Although I will tell you, I did look at, it's like, oh, 550. That's kind of a lot of money. And so then I started looking at the refurbished ones they're selling. I was like, no, no, go away. You don't need this. You don't need this. How about the Android Central article? Can you really survive college with just a Chromebook? Yeah. So I, you know, I get this question a fair bit uh, when people find out that I'm a, a Chromebook guy and I'm not really a fair comparison because I always have access to really all three platforms all the time in many different ways because that's the way my, my world engages right now. But uh, there was a pretty reasonable article uh, in uh, Android Central. Uh, Andrew Myrick uh, talks about whether or not it's uh, a viable thing. And his answer is uh, a surprising yes, that um, you can get away with a Chromebook you know, for, for most applications and most degrees in most colleges. And of course, there's clear exceptions to this. Um, I know because I have former students and members of my family that have gone to engineering school or uh, are, are math majors and need access to certain programs, although there's a decent chance they might be available in Linux. But, um, you know, where you need a Mac or a PC. But for, I think, most students that don't have one of those highly specialized cases, a Chromebook's enough. And from an educational standpoint, as I've mentioned, you know, I don't have an admin password on my my, my uh, laptop anymore. Um, our IT department has, has helped me with a few things that have been installed because now, you know, software not only needs um, not only needs uh, authenticated permission to go into the applications folder, but if it you know is a screen capture software or something like that, it it, it can need permission uh, in the system settings. So two thoughts about that. Number one, like a Chromebook, you can run so much now out of the Chrome browser, you know, password managers, you don't have to do the client side. You can just run them as a Chrome extension, um, you know, screencasting. I used Loom for the last couple of years, really loved that. Um, but our school wants us to use Screencastify, which works, you know, it's browser based and, and it's an extension. The other thing I've done, which is a little bit tricky is, you can actually put whatever you want in the downloads folder and you can run it as an application right out of the downloads folder. You don't have to drag it over to the applications folder. Um, but depending on what the application is, you may not be able to fully, fully run it. Um, it just, it, it, it depends on the, the kind of program. But anyway, the fact that you can do so much on a Chromebook is not only beneficial for Chromebook users, it's also beneficial for folks that just want to do things without having an admin account or, you know, going to get special permission or something like that to, to run things. There's just a heck of a lot you can do now using the browser and using browser extensions. So that's uh, good news. All right. Uh, let's see. Why don't I pick up these media literacy articles? So um, shout out to Renee Hobbs. Uh, with the Media Education Lab, I think, for sharing both of these. CBS News on October 22nd reported that Illinois high school students to receive media literacy instruction this year. And I had heard... Follow today in Indiana, following the state's passage of a wide-ranging... I didn't really want to play that video, so sorry for that <laughs> autoplay. Um, <laughs> I had heard about this 
probably a year ago. Um, and this is something that, you know, anytime you have educational mandates, uh, there's, there's multiple sides to that in terms of all the folks who are going to spring up to provide that, you know, uh, service and, and professional development. But I think it is a good move forward to say, hey, we want all of our students to, um, you know, have better media literacy skills. And so that's the state of Illinois. That's the first state, I think, to, to mandate that as a requirement for high school. And this one is from the Military Times on August 1st. This is fascinating. The Marine Corps wants to develop media literacy training. The headline says it won't be easy. And not that probably many of us are are reading the latest publications of the U.S. Marine Corps, um, but the article says that inside the Marine Corps' newest doctrinal publication is a hint at a new initiative focused on training the rank and file to be media literate. And so the phrase media literacy appears six times in the Marine Corps doctrinal publication 8-information, which was released in June of 2022. Um, and it is to both preserve force resiliency and deny the enemy influence attacks based on on disinformation. Um, and so the, the document quotation, which is at the end of the article says, quote, no individual can fully know or understand the breadth of available information that amplifies cognitive shortcuts, biases, and assumptions. However, media literacy installs a necessary level of critical thinking in everyday interactions with digital and traditional news and information environments. Effective training in this area reduces Marines' vulnerabilities to malign influence and supports force resiliency through unity of effort. So, yay! That is a great sign, and um, not that that's going to sway local school boards or legislator, legislatures, um, but I think those are both uh, examples of forward-thinking you know, states, in the case of Illinois, a forward-thinking organization, in the case of the Marine Corps, and we need more media literacy for everybody, not just for students, not just for soldiers, like every citizen needs more. So, in um, I thought that I thought that Marine Corps article was super interesting myself. I just pulled it up earlier to get prepped on it, and yeah, um, but I guess that tells you where we're at, right? Like, it's a real bottom line commentary about uh, where we're at. You cut up, you broke up a little bit. Wait, we, I've, I've got to ask you one question though before I'll, I'll share one more article. What is the status of the Knifer Dogecoin investment? Are you <laughs> completely Dogecoin retirement at this point? Uh, no, I, I still, uh, my Dogecoin is still worth way more than I invested in it, but the ridiculous returns I had last year um, have disappeared. So I would not lose any money at this point, um, but I certainly don't have the gains I had, say, 12, 16 months ago. So. Okay. Well, here's a fast related story. This is from a source I've never heard of before uh, called decrypto.co. The headline from today, Troubled Crypto Broker Voyager Digital to Auction Off Assets Next Week. Um, we have an entrepreneurship high school course, and the teacher frequently brings in some guest speakers. And so there was a serial entrepreneur who I think has been super, super successful based on a few little things that he that he mentioned. Um, he has used play money or whatever, not play money, but it's real money. Uh, but he's used some of his discretionary income to do some investments in crypto. And uh, he mentioned that it was, and I'd never heard of this, tied up in this uh, exchange uh, called Voyager Digital. And so um, I guess what happened is they've taken 
a lot of money in uh, Bitcoin and other things, but they've invested it in other kinds of crypto, which which tanked, and now the entire thing is is bankrupt. So it just like going to Ameritrade or something like that. Wasn't there something that you were using when you were doing Dogecoin, a broker? Yeah, Robinhood. Robinhood, that's right. So using one of these exchanges to do the purchases and worry about pass- passwords and that kind of stuff. Uh, he had done that, but now it turns out all of the investment that he made in crypto is actually tied up in this bankruptcy and will even, you know, get his money out. So crypto is a controversial, is a controversial and risky thing. So please, folks, don't go out and invest all of your retirement savings in cryptocurrency. Yes, you just got that bit of crypto advice from here on the EdTech Situation Room. Um, I think, Dr. Neifer, we probably better geek of the weekend because I think we've been talking for an hour. Yep, I think that's the case. I want to share a really interesting website, uh, and I'm not sure if I've shared this with you before, Wes, privately, but it is Mark Cuban's Cost Plus Pharmacy, which is an investment by um, uh, Texas gazillionaire Mark Cuban. And the idea behind it is is that it does not take insurance, but it charges you straight cost for your drugs. The what the drug companies charge. You pay for shipping and you pay it have the thing packed up. You pay essentially for the labor to make it happen. And otherwise, it's good, sold to you at cost. And even with insurance, and I have pretty good insurance, every single one of my medications but one is cheaper through this cost plus pharmacy than it would be through my traditional pharmacy. And my mom and dad, who are um, on Medicare, uh, they're above 65, both have found that their medications are way cheaper than um, if they tried with Medicare. So, Mark wow. Cuban's cost pharmacy. There you go. Did not know about that. All right. Uh, three three fast ones here. Uh, Y-Stamp, email signature management. Um, one of many different tools that my new school is using and it's really slick. They've got all our signature, fi- the signature file set up. So you just enter some information, boom, click, uh, and it's right there in Google for you. Um, so if your organization is interested in doing a little more standardization with email signature files, that might be helpful. Uh, mycreativetype.com. Jason, have you done this one before from Adobe to see what your creative personality style is? No, I haven't. Okay, well, I don't think this is one uh, like the Harry Potter quizzes and whatnot of which house you are that were like weaponized by Cambridge Analytica back in 2015 and 16. I think this is legit. It's from Adobe. Uh, But uh, the website is just um, mycreativetype.com. So I am the adventurer. Um, (laughs) You know, what are you? Who do you want to work with? I'm supposed to work with the artist. So anyway, Uh, and then the last thing is I don't... I don't know if I, I don't think we mentioned this last time. No, because we talked about that New York Times article, which is kind of a, a, a bad one. This is, I shouldn't have ended with this. We'll have to say something else more positive. Huh, there's this thing called Kiwi Farms, and it's something that we should know about as, as teachers. Did, maybe, did we talk about that? Maybe we did mention it. But there's a Twitter thread that Ben Collins has done. And, it, and as he says, there's, there's a danger of highlighting bad parts of the internet, but there's so many, uh, kids and others that are being affected by um, by that platform. And so anyway, that is a digital citizenship public service announcement. So 
there were a few articles that we didn't have time to talk about today, but we did a pretty good job covering them. Dr. Yeah. Neifer, when you're not here on Wednesdays, um, battling your Verizon hotspot and fighting for fighting for bandwidth and dreaming of, of Starlink, where can people find you and connect with you? Best place to find me is on Twitter, techsavvyteach. And I am westfriar.com slash after. If you want to find all my channels, I'm wfriar on Twitter. So we have gone three minutes over our hour, but that's okay. Uh, you're getting what you paid for tonight because this is free. <laughs> this is the EdTech situation. <laughs> we are a once-a-week podcast talking about the technology news. You can find us on edtechsr.com where generally when the very slacking and non-productive uh, post-production editor, which would be moi. Usually we're going to have our smaller audio versions that are there, but we have versions on Facebook and YouTube, uh, which immediately encode and are archived. You can also check out all the show notes at edtechsr.com slash links. So we want to thank Peggy George for joining us at our early time out in Arizona. And hello to my dad, who's probably checking us out. Uh, maybe Shannon. Uh, we've got a few folks that are, that are checking us out. Please, um, Follow us on Twitter, follow us on Facebook, and let us know if you listen to the show. If you've got any ideas or suggestions, we're happy to listen to that. But until next time, we encourage you to stay savvy, stay safe. Don't be fished. Yeah, that's not going to stop anything. But, hey, uh, just be ready to block your card and cancel it if you if you happen to do something stupid, as I did. So, yay, it's a good time in Arizona for the EdTech Situation Room. Until next time. Stay savvy, stay safe, and we will hope Dr. Neifer will find more bandwidth next week. I'm confident he will. Good night, everyone.